Copy, Hog Zero One. Night Owl, Hog Zero One. Friendly's in sight, target in sight, in from the south. In from the south, you are cleared on, cleared on. Wolf Hog Element, good guns, good guns. Welcome to the Pathway to Wings podcast, a podcast for aspiring Air Force aviators hosted by current and former Air Force aviators. My name is Major John Waters. I'm a former F-16 pilot and now a reservist working for the Air Force Recruiting Service. My guest today is Lieutenant Darian Haynes. She just completed RPA training, remotely piloted aircraft training for the United States Air Force and now is uh, on her way to her first assignment. She's an officer training school graduate. We're gonna talk about her journey today so, with that being said, let's get into the podcast with Lieutenant Darian Haynes. Awesome. Lieutenant Darian Haynes, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Excited to hear about your story. Before we get rolling, will you just kind of tell me just a quick snapshot of who you are and what you're doing today and how you got there? So, like the 30-second elevator pitch. Sounds good. Yeah. So, as he's mentioned, I am 2nd Lieutenant Darian Haynes. I went to Baylor University. First off, I should mention, I am... I grew up in the Air Force family. Both of my parents retired out of Randolph Air Force Base. So yeah, I grew up there and then I decided to go to college at Baylor University. Um, My parents' inspiration did not rub off on me to join Air Force. (laughs) Deciding my senior year of college, one, because the health benefits are super good there. So um, I was like, yeah, well, we'll see what's gonna happen. So I ended up getting selected for OTS. Um, I ended up graduating November 2018, so I'm coming up on my two years in the Air Force. Following that, I was picked up for RPA. I just, I went to Randolph Air Force Base for the initial part of the training. I went to Holloman Air Force Base in Alamogordo, and now I'm headed to Cannon Air Force Base, um, where I'm going to be flying the MQ-9 Reaper. Very awesome. Yeah. It's crazy that you grew up in an Air Force family and then it was, it sounds like it was a last, not a last minute decision, but more or less a last minute decision to go into Air Force. Is that true? It is. Um, My parents, they never were like, yeah, we want you to go into the military. That wasn't anything they ever pushed on me. They were more so wanting to follow me through whatever career I decided. Um, It wasn't until I worked at a mail center on base. I actually worked over at Fort Sam in San Antonio, where I saw the camaraderie of like other army men and other sailors going through where I was like, yeah, this seems like something I really want to do. Also, once again, those health benefits, I was when I was about to graduate college, that was something that um, they were just kind of like, whenever you graduate college, or when you turn 26, you're no longer gonna be underneath your parent or your dependent. And so I was like, well, we'll see what's going to happen. So it was a last minute decision, but both of my parents were super proud just because I was going in as an officer. They were both enlisted and yeah, I wouldn't change how I did it for the world. So. No, that's awesome. And obviously there are a lot of benefits to joining the military. That could be several podcasts in and itself. Sounds like the health benefits were a big factor for you. And now that I'm a reservist, I can definitely see the healthcare cost way to pay. So Mm -hmm. For those listening, that is a huge benefit of being in the military. The fact that everything is pretty much covered. Yeah. The next step in that OTS, so officer training school, 
Yeah, we have three different commissioning sources for those listening, the Air Force Academy, Reserve Officer Training School, or Reserve Officer Training Corps, and then Officer Training School. So three different ways to become an officer in the Air Force. I think OTS is probably one of the more challenging ones to get in because you're competing with everyone who is already already has a college degree and most likely has already been out in the workforce doing something. So standing apart is kind of challenging. Can you talk a little bit about the OTS application process and what your experience was like going through that? Yeah, for sure. So um, just as a whole, the first part of wanting to go into the go into officer going to officer training school, you first need to get a um, a recruiter that's going to help you out. So during that time, I had spoken to one recruiter because up at Baylor, you have Dallas right next to to Waco, to Waco, Texas. So during that time, I was talking to a recruiter up in Dallas. Um, he wasn't super helpful. Um, so we ended up having some other individuals assist me with that package. But all it is is you have a package that's showing who you are on paper, and then you're giving it to someone and hoping that they select you. Um, so it is entirely competitive, and it's based on what people are seeing in that package. For me, a lot of the hurdles, especially with trying to go rated, um, you have to take an AFOQT, and with that AFOQT or Air Force Officer Qualifying Test, I didn't know anything about piloting. I didn't know anything about navigation. So when I was studying for that, I had to teach myself. And my mom's background was nursing and then human resources, and my dad was computer science and um, security. I didn't even have anyone to ask. So teaching myself that information was a huge hurdle for me. Um, but thankfully, when I was able to go and take the test, we got it done. And then I got my score back, scores back, which they were average. Like I got the exact minimums that you need in order to be qualifying for pilot and for the rating positions. Um, so, yeah, that was just kind of the background of the OTS package. You just literally have a group of people sitting in a room being like, we think this person's going to be good and this person's not going to be good. And um, I tell a lot of other people that I help mentor into OTS and all of their diff different packages that, yes, it's about the scores, but don't beat yourself up if your scores aren't the best scores, because overall they're looking for an officer. Um, I had to end up telling that to, to myself as well. Being an officer is your first duty. And then whatever you get picked up for, that's going to be what else the thing that you're doing for the Air Force specifically. So yeah, that's kind of the over underlying part of the of the actual package. And then going into OTS. So when I was going through, it was an eight and a half week program. Um, and my journey is a little bit different than some in that I went to OTS twice. Um, I went to the at least I went to the first three parts of OTS twice. The first time I went was January of 2018. And in January of 2018, I had gotten sick. Like there were just a lot of different outside factors. Um, so when I went to go do my PT test, the first one I ended up failing, one, because I was sick. The second one, I ended up failing again because I was still sick. And then it was just a lot of factors that came into play why I wasn't able to finish the first part. But due to um, an AFI saying that you can be reinstated, I was able to go through that whole process of what that actually means to be reinstated. 
and I was able to come back within the same year, um, six months apart. I started September 2018, and I was able to finish all the way through. Um, it's a very different experience, what I've heard in comparison to like ROTC and the Air Force Academy, in that it's only eight and a half weeks. Now it's nine and a half weeks. Um, but yeah, you're just learning first how to be an officer. They're going to yell at you and break you down, so that way they can build you back up. Um, and yeah, you're getting to know the fundamentals of the Air Force and how it is to be an officer and then um, learning what kind of leadership styles you want. Because at first I went in being like, yeah, I'm going to be like this kind of a leader and then come to find out I'm a different kind of leader and I want to lead in a different manner than what I originally thought. And that's okay because each person has a different personality and I just had to figure out what mine was going to be while going through OTS. Yeah. And everything you just described there is a snapshot of just becoming an officer. And I think it's really important what you hit on the fact that the Air Force is hiring you and bringing you on to be an officer. And what you do next is secondary or tertiary. So that's first and foremost. So when it goes to applying, being a well-rounded person and they're really, again, it kind of stinks, but it is like the best way to do it. When you're looking at thousands of applications, you are summed up on a piece of paper and so you have to stand out. So good grades, working hard, being well-rounded because they're, again, it's like, does this person have the potential to be a great officer, to be a great leader? That's what they're looking at. And then are you going to go to a rated position or whatever you might want to go do? So I, I will back up just a little bit talking about the mentorship because you said mentor, which I think it's one thing I hammer home with a lot of the youth that I talk with is you can find mentors out there. Some It's going to be easier for some than others, right? And that's going to be every blanket statement in life. There are going to be things that are easier for some versus others. When it comes to learning aviation and the AFOQT, the Air Force Officer Qualifying Test, I'll say there's a lot of aviation-centric things there. So you said, like, you had to teach yourself that. Is there anything you would have done differently? Did you have, like, any, like, I know you didn't have your parents to lean on. What would, like, advice for someone who is in your spot just a few years behind you that's kind of struggling the same thing? Is there any advice you would give them? to maybe make that process a little bit easier? Yeah, for sure. I would definitely, if you can at least get maybe one or two hours of flying, like, granted, I know flying is super expensive, um, but if you're able to do that, I would suggest doing that just because it helps tenfold. Um, one girl that I was talking to, she actually just did, she took her AFOQC. She didn't get as high of a score that she wanted, um, but I told her, hey, like you have me as a resource now, like you just have to find people that, you know, have gone through something similar, at least have a little bit of knowledge or can help you cage the information in a different way um, and then try to get some flight hours, even if it's not a lot, but at least you can have a better understanding of, hey, what am I looking at currently? How do I make this fit into my brain? Go to YouTube, find different tutorials. There's a lot of different avenues if you don't have someone that you can directly reach out to and be like, I need some help. Please help me. Yeah, that would be my advice for people going through because I definitely know I needed it. And hindsight 2020, if I had known previously, I would have definitely reached out a lot sooner. Yeah, I think one thing to point out, like this podcast is an example of things in today's age that are different. Then even when I went through, there's lots of sources out there where you can 
really easily connect with different people who have those experiences and just takes a little bit of effort because it is so much easier if you can at least have someone to help guide you through a process that doesn't even make sense to you. Like learning aviation, if no, if you don't around a pilot or navigate would be a really challenging thing. So uh, I think that's great advice. Now talking about a little bit what you're doing now. So RPA, uh, remotely piloted aircraft. Did you want to go do that when you applied to OTS? Were you kind of open-minded or what was, what was that process like and what were your thoughts? Yeah. So for RPA specifically, um, well, when I was first picked up from OTS, they called and were like, Hey, you were picked up for CISO, um, combat systems officer. And I was like, okay, cool. Like this will be a fun time. Um, but then I was medically disqualified from CISO. However, from RPA, I was qualified for that. So I was like, okay, we're going to see what happens. Um, after I was picked up for RPA, I then realized that the training was back at Randolph. I one part joined the Air Force so I could get out of Randolph and the other places in the world. Um, so at first I was a little disappointed. I wouldn't say bitter. I was more so disappointed. Um, but after I like learned more about the mission, because at first I thought like, yeah, I'm just going to be doing a video game like this is going to be super boring like i don't know what i'm going to do with it um but then when i first started learning more so about what rpas really are capable to do and how they help out the mission without being the super spotlighted aircraft i was like man that sounds a lot more my speed because i'm a very timid person in the sense of i don't necessarily need to be the center of attention so I was like, man, to fly an aircraft that does the same thing and we're, we have weaponeering so I can help our guys on the ground, it was the best of both worlds for me. So at first, I did not want to do RPA, but coming to find out more about its mission, I'm like, yeah, everyone should do RPA. Like, it's, it's the best, but every, every pilot is going to say their airframe is the best one in the, in the airport. So um I am no different. At that. Yeah, no, it's, it's cliche to say that I have said it, but it's like, no matter what you fly, you'll absolutely love it. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to the mission. A lot of it comes down to the people you're around, but no matter what you do, you'll absolutely love it. There obviously will be pain points, right. And setbacks, but in general, like it's, it's a pretty good experience. I did not want to be a first assignment instructor pilot in Columbus, Mississippi, but it, it was a great assignment, right? Cause the people, the mission was, was a lot of fun. Uh, right. So I think it's, you know, obviously you're going to land wherever you're in, wherever you're planted, just bloom mm -hmm. and, and be the best at whatever you're doing, I think is a, is a great way to go after it. So uh, I'm kind of curious about the RPA pipeline. It's not one that I'm very familiar with. So can we talk a little bit about what that looked like from showing up at Randolph to however many months later, as you get kicked out the door, go into your first assignment? What does that look like? Yes. Yeah, so um, now with COVID ops, everything might be a little bit different, but when I went through, got to Randolph, probably rated about, so I got to Randolph December of 2018, and then I didn't actually go to my first part of training until April of 2019, so probably about six or so months. Um, during that time, you go to Pueblo, Colorado for the initial flight training, and you are flying a DA-20 or like some people call a lawnmower, lawnmower in the sky. Super slow bird, valid. but it's there to 
to build up your confidence in being able to fly, at least seeing a little bit of military flying. Um, so I was there with the RPA pipeline. RPAs are there a lot longer just because that's going to be our only time in the actual aircraft or an actual aircraft. So from April of 2019 to about July of 2019, and I had some issues there, so it ended up taking a little bit longer than some of my classmates. Then I came back to Randolph. I had another stint of casual work where I was just working and helping out actually with debt one. So from July until I started RIQ, which is the RPA instrumental course or instrumental qualification um, from July or excuse me, October until February. So with RIQ, it's separated into two specific courses. So you have RIQ and then you have RFC, which is the RPA fundamentals course. So I think probably from like October to maybe January, we did RIQ. And during that time, we're flying a T6 Alpha, um, which is just the standard military aircraft that most, that actually all pilots go through. Um, for us though, it's differently because we're only doing it in a sim. So we're learning how to do um, steep turns, climbs and descents. We're learning all about military flying specifically with the T6, but it's all based in a simulator. How many simulator rides do you have in the T6? Um, I think, cause I, I keep all of my like mission data cards. I think I had like 40 that so we have, we have seven tests all together. Um, and then we have the basics course, which is probably about 10 rides. I think I'm not entirely sure about how many flights per each. Then we have our instruments portion, which was a good chunk of time. And then lastly, we have the nav, which was probably about five flights. And then you have your pre-check and check, and then you go ahead to your RFC, which is once again, the RPA. During that fundamentals course, um, during that time, so with the RPA community, you have a pilot and you have a sensor operator who the center operator is the enlisted member of the crew. So while the pilot is in charge of the actual maintaining aircraft control, doing radios, like making sure the aircraft doesn't fly out of, fall out of the sky, the sensor is doing a lot of camera manipulation, making sure the thing is on the thing. If you want to drop bombs on someone, um, they're doing a lot of that manipulation of the aircraft. So during RFC, the pilots are learning how like the RPA is going to look, looking at all of our different software that we're going to be utilizing and making sure that we're learning the basics of how that's going to work. While the sensor operators are learning how they're going to be doing their stuff, then we have a couple of sims within that where we're actually coming together, pilot and sensor, to see how working together would be since we are crewed aircraft. Yeah, and then, so that is the big chunk of time spent at Randolph. Then you get your wings whenever you finish RFC. And then you're moving on to MQT, which can either happen at Holloman, Syracuse, New York, or um, March Air Force Base in California. Sorry, you, you, said, you said that was, you call that MQT? Yeah, oh, sorry, IQT. IQ. I apologize. No. IQT. 
We have yeah. a lot of acronyms, right? And, and uh, if people haven't figured this out yet, there's a lot of acronyms. And I don't know, people ask me, hey, what does that mean? I'm like, I have no idea, right? I use it on a daily basis. I have no idea what it means. Right. Uh, but, yeah, so obviously you got the first chunk at Randolph. That's left-hand, right-hand skills. And then you go off to IQT, is that what you said? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. IQ, yeah. Um, IQT is actually where we start flying the M29 by ourselves or learning how to fly it first in a couple of sims. We also get all of our emergency procedures done and then we start learning the different mission sets that we can do in the actual aircraft. We, as since we're not in the aircraft, we go into our GCSs or our ground, ground control stations. Um, so we're essentially just figuring out what it means to fly our bird, what it means to fly the different mission sets that um, the aircraft can do and what we may be doing whenever we get onto our follow-on basic. So. No, that's awesome. And I guess now you've just shown up at your first operational assignment. The next few months of your life, what do the what does that look like for someone who's brand new? So for me, right now it's just in processing. I'm learning what that means since this is my first operational base. Um, after that, I will probably have a class date for MQT, which is the mission qualification training. Um and so from what I've heard, just be doing a lot of sims whenever I start doing that to actually starting to fly some of the lines that they have here. And yeah, that's so far, that's what I've, I've come to hear, come to hear about how that process is going to work within MQT. Other than that, I'm just getting my house set up and making sure I do all the things that I'm supposed to do and go to the places I'm supposed to. So. Now, that's, and I think it's it's cool to highlight, we take for granted for the fact that, all right, it's now October of 2020. And when did you graduate OTS again? Uh, graduated November 16th of 2018. All right. Yeah. So like two years, right? Like, as you said, you've been in the Air Force, but it, that is how long it takes to get someone from in the door as a second lieutenant through their initial training and showing up their base for the, their first operational base to start training. And it kind of mimics that across all different platforms. There's plus or minuses how long does it take, but it's a long road. And I think that's really the point. And this road for you started quite a ways back. Although you said it was kind of a last minute jump into it, but no, it's still a very long road to get to this point. Uh, if you're looking back and if you bumped into yourself on the street, 15, 16 year old, Darren, would you tell her to do anything different? Any recommendations, any guidance you'd provide her? Um, so a lot of it would be, I don't think I would do anything differently. I think how my life has gone, um, I needed those because um, a lot of dealing with my faith. But when I first went to OTS, I don't think I would have been the second lieutenant, the this Darian Haynes sitting in front of me. I don't think I would have learned the lessons that I needed to. I think I would have probably been very ungrateful and not super appreciative of all of the opportunities given to me. One major thing is had I finished OTS when I was supposed to in the first stint, I wouldn't have ever been a part of DET1 because it would have been created after I would have been already gone and DET1 has given me tremendous opportunities. So I would not tell myself to do anything differently. However, I would tell myself 
to give myself a little bit more grace and patience. I am someone who likes to strive for perfection. And DOS is a place where all of your imperfections are shown. Um, even at Baylor, like, I've always just had really good grades. Like, I'm a decent student. And DOS was a place where I did not know the current limits that I had, especially with flying. This was something that I hadn't even considered doing. So I had to do a lot of soul searching. Um, I even got to, so with, whenever you start having troubles in flights, they first put you on cap, commander's awareness program, which all that just means is, hey, we need to focus some more attention on this individual, making sure they get the portions of flight that they're not currently understanding, just giving them a little bit of extra help. So I was put on flight cap and I was like, man, this sucks. Like, I'm not a super good pilot. Um, and then before you have your actual solo in the aircraft for the first time, they want you to have like a pre-check solo just so they can make sure that you are going to be safe before flying an aircraft by yourself, which makes sense. Yep. Um, but th that, that, um, ride was the ride that I ended up getting stuck on for a week and I was not super I was questioning a lot of did I still want to do this what am I doing with my life um, then I got to a 77 ride which is a progress check so essentially they're like hey we want to make sure that you're still progressing in the way that you're supposed to and I was like okay during that, it's not a graded flight. However, you can decide if, so if I didn't pass that flight, then I would end up going to another flight after that, which is your um, evaluation, not evaluation, but it's a, it's a 78, sorry. Um, so it's a 78 ride. And during that time, if I didn't pass that ride, I would be kicked out of the pilot training program. And so I got to that ride and thankfully I passed, but it has been a lot of struggles overall, um, starting from that very beginning. And that even for each of the rides after that, for each of the training programs, I've always gotten to a place in my training pipeline where it's been super difficult and to the point where I start questioning myself. So my advice would be to not question myself. You are there for a reason, like you have the capabilities within you and don't doubt yourself even when the going gets rough because ultimately other people saw it in you to be able to do this and to be able to do well. So don't question that in yourself. Yeah, and no, I think that's good advice. And you know, there are people who are gonna sail through training and never have any issues whatsoever. But I would say for the vast majority of the rest of us in the 80% group, you're gonna have different days where you bust rides or things just aren't going the way you thought. And, and it's going to be different. Everyone else will be doing great and you're going to be doing terrible. And then, you know, four months down the road, it's the roles are going to be reversed. It's just a matter of pushing through that and realizing that, which is a lot easier said than done, especially when you're in the moment and you know, you're on the chopping block or you're in the future's in question, but you're not the first person to go through it and you won't be the last person to go through it as well. Yes, so awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, people are really gonna enjoy your story and thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. Absolutely, thanks.